Bibles, John 10, where we're going to read the verses 1 through 21. As we have our Bibles open, let's seek the Lord's favor and His Spirit's presence upon our reading and understanding of these words. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, open now our eyes to see the deep truths of Your Word. Make the ink upon the page live for us so that our hearts may be penetrated, that our thoughts may be convicted, and that we may confess Jesus Christ is our Good Shepherd. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Then John 10, beginning at verse 1 to verse 21, hear the word of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thus for the reading of God's holy word. May he bless that word now to our understanding. Indeed, it is those last words that maybe do well to form the beginning of our consideration of verse 11 and verse 14. They say these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's the story that precedes this. You'll remember that from the last time. That the story that precedes chapter 10 is the story of a man born blind who sinned. This man or his parents, the disciples asked. No, says Jesus, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then that he heals the man. The neighbors see him. They get excited that he has been healed. He ends up before the Pharisees. Uh, The Pharisees say, wait a minute, what's going on? And they interview this man. They interrogate his parents. And for a second time, they call him before them. And then they threaten him. And he says to them, do you wish to follow this Jesus too? It's an amazing thing, says the man, you do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And then Jesus found him, said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, sure, sir, show me that I may believe. And then Jesus reveals himself to him. It's in that context 
that cruel treatment of this man born blind by the Pharisees, by the religious leader, by the church community. They put him out of the synagogue. They, they oppress those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. It is in that context that then Jesus begins, truly, truly, I say to you, and, and then you remember that we learned about the door of the sheep, which was a strange, we noted, strange way for Jesus to speak. Here are these cruel shepherds. And first thing He says is, I'm the door. And we saw what that meant last time. Now we come to what we would have expected, what we anticipate Jesus to say. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. But I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my own and my own know me. So Jesus now comes to that glorious revelation, that very comforting very encouraging word of His that He is the Good Shepherd. It's a word that we instinctively value and appreciate. We, we hear about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. We sing Psalm 23. We recite Psalm 23. It gives us such peace of heart and of mind. And indeed, the idea that the kings of Israel were shepherd kings is to us a lovely and glorious revelation of the care that God shows to His people. You remember David who who snatched the lambs out of the jaws of the lion and the bear, who protected and preserved his flock, we have such a great shepherd over us too. That language of Jesus as the shepherd speaks to our hearts deeply. And it speaks to our hearts for very good reason. It speaks to us of the love that the Lord has for us as His people. And he demonstrates how that love is shown in his, first of all, contrasting his ministry with that of the hireling. In the door passage, in the passage previous to this, Jesus speaks of thieves, of those who snatch the sheep away, who come in illicitly, illegally. They're not allowed in. And then we talked about also spiritual leaders, spiritual teachers who are flawed and who lead us away from Christ. But here he contrasts himself not with thieves and robbers, but with a hireling. The contrast here is between someone paid, a hireling, someone hired to watch the sheep, and Jesus. You can imagine in those days, just as in our days, there are those whose farming is blessed, who the Lord bestows favor upon, and their flocks grow and grow as Jacob's did, as Abram's did before him. And you can imagine in those days a farmer with many sheep, many flocks of sheep. And now he can't shepherd them all. He can't watch out for them all. And so he hires shepherds to care for them, to take them out in the day and to bring them to places of pasture and of water and to watch over them in the night should they be distant from one another. And each of these hirelings takes another section of the flock protecting and providing for them. Such a hireling is not a bad person. That's a, that can't be said of thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers are bad people. Hirelings are not bad people. They're good people. They're devoted people. They undoubtedly even care for their sheep, the sheep that are under their care. But the hireling's passion is defined by his pay. By his pay. That's why when, as Jesus describes for us, the wolf comes, the danger comes, the threat comes against the flock, the hireling makes a very basic calculation, I think one we would all make. 
While the sheep are under his care, he, he serves, he's better served by providing for those sheep. But when those sheep come, or when a wolf rather comes to snatch or kill those sheep, come to feast upon the flock, he says, would it be better if I died protecting the sheep and then they were scattered to the winds? Or is discretion the better part of valor? Should I for a moment withdraw, allow the wolf to eat one or two or three or however many, and then I can survive to protect the remaining flock? Live to fight another day. That's what he tells himself. In fact, wouldn't his master, if he came home and he had a hundred sheep when he left, and now he has only 80 or 90 sheep remaining, and his master says, what happened? Where are these other sheep? And he would say, a wolf came, a bear came, a lion came, and I could do nothing, and they took these sheep. Wouldn't the master say, that's too bad, that wolf came, that lion came, but you know what, I'm glad that you're still alive. It's more important to me that you have survived. Sheep we can get any time. You are precious to me. In fact, the very law of God in Exodus 22 verse 13 provided for this very thing. The Lord said that the hireling did not have to die for his animals. That's the ordinary, natural course of affairs. That's what you would expect. That's the, the expectation for a shepherd hired to watch over a flock. He's going to make careful, wise decisions. But now we meet a shepherd who doesn't. A shepherd who makes what we would consider the most foolish of all decisions. We meet a shepherd that has got something wrong with him. For while the hireling does not concern himself so much with the sheep, the good shepherd, says Jesus, does something profound. He describes himself, first of all, as a good shepherd. That's, that's a lovely description. But then he goes on to say, not only is he the good shepherd, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That seems a strange thing to do, doesn't it? That the shepherd should lay down his life for the sheep makes really no sense. Why not, first of all, why not say that the shepherd protects the sheep? Why does it have to be so dramatic, lays down his life? And indeed, how can the death of any shepherd be better than the life of the shepherd? Surely a living shepherd's better than a dead one. How can it be that the good shepherd is defined by his willingness to sacrifice? And then it gets a little stranger. In verse 14, it says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And then he even talks later on about adding others to this flock, that there are others that have to be brought in. Those others, of course, being you and I. I'm the good shepherd the sheep know me and I know them. Well, that can be said about the hireling too. So how does this distinguish the shepherd? Well, actually, if we understand rightly what Jesus is saying in verse 14, we can understand rightly why it is such a good thing that Jesus lays down His life for the sheep. When Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, and He also later on speaks about knowledge and knowledge in relation to God. 
In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. What does it mean that God knows His Son and His Son knows the Father? There is, of course, in that more than just data, more than just information. Jesus is not just saying, I know doctrinal truths. I know theological concepts. I can use words like omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. I can use those words and know what they mean when I'm talking about God. The word know here has a more profound significance when it says that the Son knows the Father and the Father the Son there is a description in that of the perfect intimacy of the perfect union and communion that exists between Father and Son that we might say there is perfect love. Everything about the Father causes the Son to love Him. Everything about the Son causes the Father to love Him. I know my Son. I know everything about Him. And I love Him with a perfect love. Even as the Son says, I love my Father with a perfect love. Thus the bond that unites the Father and the Son is the bond of love, a bond that is strengthened and maintained because they know each other. Or to use the language we sometimes use, to know Him is to love Him. And I'll take that word into what Jesus says about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, He says. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. What do the sheep know about Jesus? And what does Jesus know about the sheep? Well, what Jesus knows about the sheep is, of course, a terrifying thought. What Jesus knows about the sheep is that they're stubborn and foolish. and They do not listen when they should. They do not follow when they ought. They are more trouble sometimes, you might say, than they're worth. Jesus knows the truth of what His sheep are like. And yet, and yet, we're told, Jesus loves His sheep. That's again what that language means. I know my sheep, and my sheep know Me. I love my sheep, says Jesus. I love them as the Father loves Me and as I love the Father. Oh, wait a minute. We say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, you love the Father because of who He is, because of His perfect beauty, because of His glory, because of His majesty, because He is eternal God, because He shines and shimmers with wonder. When you look at sheep, boy. When we were in Scotland, we saw sheep everywhere, sheep all over the place. And sometimes the sheep, when they came in to be sheared, would come in with things in their coat, in their hair that demonstrated they had been in some pretty sticky situations. They would come with brambles and sticks, lures from the, from the fishermen, lines and, fi- lines and nets from the fishermen, all tangled into their hair because they, they had gotten into places they shouldn't have gone, places they were unwise to go, and they had become ugly. They had become filthy. They had become filled with bad things. You can't say, Jesus, that you love these sheep the way that you love your Father. Surely not. Surely not. And indeed, 
who of us would say, I am loved by Jesus because He knows. He knows the truth of who I am. He sees deep into my heart and He knows the truth of who I am. Isn't that the scary thing about about Jesus is that He does know. He knows what no one else knows. He knows the secrets. He knows the things done in darkness. He knows the thoughts that we have that no one else has and that we want no, or that no one else knows and that we want no one else to know. How can Jesus say that He loves His sheep? Well, that's why it's so important that Jesus describes Himself as the Good Shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. Why would the death of the shepherd benefit the sheep? Why would the death of the shepherd be of any use to the sheep? The answer is, of course, that he lays down that the sheep may survive and that he may die. He dies at the jaws of the vicious wolves. He suffers under the cruel tearing of flesh that the bear or the lion brings upon him. He stands before the enemy so that the sheep might escape. This is love. This is true love. No greater love has a man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. Or as we read in 1 John 5 verse 10 that God is love and that this is This is the love of God that He gave us His only begotten Son as a propitiation for all our sins. We wouldn't do that. For for a, a righteous man, no man will die. For a good man, maybe. But while we were still enemies, God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. This is love. This is the love of God for you. That Jesus comes and covers you with His righteousness, covers you with His pinions, covers you with His care, and takes the enemy, takes the wrath and the judgment and the destruction of the enemy that you might survive. The hireling would never do that. The hireling flees, sacrificing some of the sheep for the betterment of the whole. But Jesus stands before the sheep and suffers that they might never. This is a word to encourage our hearts, you understand. This is a word to bring to our eyes again just how deep is the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. We might imagine that the lesson to be learned in this passage is to avoid hirelings and only follow the Good Shepherd. But then who are these hirelings that we're to avoid? Remember, hirelings aren't wicked. They live to fight another day. He takes his wages and sleeps in bed at night. Too bad about the sheep, but there you have it. They make sheep every day. Maybe the point here is to keep us from pursuing those megachurch pastors that inevitably end up on Dateline NBC being exposed for their lavish lifestyle. But doesn't that suggest that the lesson in this passage is to find a pastor or a preacher who isn't interested in financial gain, who's willing to lay down his life for the sheep, who pours himself emotionally and mentally out, using his time to serve the congregation? Which congregation, in the words of Dr. Lynn Anderson, smell like sheep? Surely that can't be the lesson that the Lord is trying to teach us here. Surely the lesson here isn't find a shepherd like Jesus. Surely the lesson here is 
find Jesus. For the contrast here is not so much the financial question as it is the motive. The hireling is motivated by his pay. Little wonder he's a hireling. But the good shepherd loves his sheep. Loves them with this sacrificial love. Loves them that they may be covered by him. Loves them so much that he's willing to die for these dark, dismal, dirty, stinky sheep. Now imagine that nowhere in all of the world, in any religion of the world, in any philosophical system of the world, will you ever find so tender, so great, so good a shepherd as this one. Never will you find so tender a shepherd who will care for your soul so perfectly, carry you in your weakness, bestow upon you blessing that you might be blessed, bring you into green pastures, nourish you with life-giving waters. You will never find a shepherd like Jesus. That's so important to remember. So important to remember in today's day and age. See this word of our Lord in the light of the slander that is so often leveled against our faith. That we are narrow-minded, oppressive, patriarchal, and intolerant. And don't imagine that these words are so foreign to our hearts and minds. Consider a young person who is suddenly buffeted by the winds of this fallen world when they attend in September university and enter into the public education system. And suddenly are confronted with all sorts of possibilities and struggle on which path to walk. Which is the right one? Each professor, each system, each perspective seems compelling. And now you come to church and you're called to a path of self-denial, to righteous living, to sacrificial service which feels a little bit boring, a little not fun, a bit pointless. And you begin to think that the Savior who bought you for this blessedness is maybe not as blessed as He seems. And it's not just young people that experience this, that we can all be there at times. We look at the neighbor who seems to be succeeding financially. We look at People whose lives seem to be progressing rather nicely and we think to ourselves, why is it that I'm not enjoying these things? Why am I not experiencing these blessings? Envy, let's be honest, envy in the materialistic world in which we live. Not just materialistic in that we want money and we want success. Materialism says there is nothing but this life. And when you have that, then you look over at your neighbor whose bank account is flush, and you look at your bank statement, which is very dark and dismal, and you think, why can't I have that? Why can't I be free? Why can't I enjoy life? Why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to pay to the church? Why do I have to pay to the Christian school? Why do I have to struggle so much? Where are the green pastures of which Scripture speaks? Where is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep? Or imagine yourself in a valley, in a dark valley. A doctor's office as difficult news is provided. A hospital bed because a a loved, beloved child uh, yet in the womb has been taken from you or any of the other griefs and sorrows that this world experiences and that is brought upon us, you're in that dark place, that difficult place. 
And you ask, does God love me? Does God really, truly love me? Are there not times when we hesitate to follow the Good Shepherd? When we don't want to walk in the way that He leads? Maybe it's a particular call to sacrificial living. Maybe a trial we see coming down the path. And so we bolt. We bolt. Our marriage is just getting way too tough. We bolt. Our our church community is demanding too much of us, so we bolt. Our family, our family is too restrictive, too limited, so we bolt. And we find someone else, don't we? Another shepherd. Maybe not even a pastor or a spiritual leader. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's a professor or a teacher. Maybe a friend or a group of friends. And they all tell us it's enough. They're enough. They'll take care of us and we'll be happy with them. And then we come to church on Sunday. The second Sunday of the month and the table is set before us. And we are confronted again with the deep, deep love of God. The passion of your shepherd, your Savior, Jesus Christ for you. Who in this life has loved you so profoundly and so richly as this shepherd? Who has promised you that He will never leave or forsake you and has demonstrated His commitment by standing before the very gates of hell and saying, I will suffer that this one might escape. Who will you ever find who will preserve and protect you so that your eternity is secure, not just your temporality? Do you not see How good a shepherd He is. He addresses the deep needs of our hearts. He answers the disquiet, the doubt, and the uncertainty of our spirits. He speaks a word of peace and calm into troubled minds. He wraps us in His arms and He says, I am the good shepherd. And I love you. Even as you love me. I know my own. And my own know me. That's the distinguishing mark of the believer, isn't it? That's the distinguishing mark of the attendee at the table of our Lord. Do you know Jesus? We describe that in various ways. The form for the preparatory exhortation says, do you know your sin? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? And do you know you need to live for him, but that's really all just do you know the Good Shepherd? Do you know you need him? Because the wolves, the lions, the bears, the enemy, the devil, the world, your flesh, death itself are coming for you, and you can't stand. Not today, not tomorrow, not any day. You can't stand against their onslaught. Do you know you need the Shepherd? to stand before you and bear the brunt, bear the burden of the wrath of God against your sin. Do you know how much you need that Savior to forgive you, to wash you clean, to purchase you? Do you know that He's done it for you? That He has promised it to you in the water of baptism and that He has kept His Word to you, that He loves you most profoundly? Do you know that His way is the good way? That His paths are the righteous paths? That His pasture is the green pasture? And that His table set before your enemies is filled with all the blessedness of His grace? 
The good shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Do you know Jesus? Then come to the table. Come feast upon His grace. He feeds you here. Do you know Jesus as the one who has loved you with a perfect love in whatever circumstance your life is right now? Do you know that He guides and guards you and that He provides for you perfectly? That in this coming week, in this coming week when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're interacting with neighbors, friends, family, that His way is the good way. It's the right way. It's the blessed way. Do you know the Good Shepherd? Do you trust Him and His will for your life? Come feast upon His grace. Come celebrate His love. Come enjoy His goodness. Our Shepherd is good. You will not find a feast like this, a shepherd like this, anywhere else in all the world. For Jesus is the Good Shepherd and we are the sheep under His care. Let's praise Him for that in prayer. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly